Welcome to the Beretta Brothers. We're a podcast and a vodcast. You can listen or watch the episode. Just go to theberettabrothers.com. That's B-A-R-R-E-T-T-A brothers.com. Please subscribe, rate us. And we'd love to hear your comments. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Beretta Brothers. I'm Gene Beretta. And today, Bill is busy learning Corey Feldman's deep cuts. On this episode, I'm joined by Stephanie DeBruzzo. Stephanie joined Sesame Street in 1993. Since then, she's performed hundreds of characters, including Lulu, Curly Bear, and Prairie Dawn since 2015. She's also puppeteered and voiced countless characters for projects like Bear in the Big Blue House, Don Quixote, and Julie's Green Room. And if that isn't enough, this slacker has earned herself a Tony Award and Drama Desk Award nomination. And wait for it a Theater World Award, and a special Outer Critics Circle Ensemble Award for originating her roles in Avenue Q. Craig Shemin is also with me today. Craig is a writer, producer, and director. His credits include work with The Muppets, The Jim Henson Company, TV animation, and books like The Muppets Character Encyclopedia, and the upcoming book about Jim Henson's first series, Sam and Friends. Craig produced and directed the award-winning documentary Behind the Scenes at Frogtown Hollow. He's now president of the Jim Henson Legacy and curator for Henson screenings at the Museum of Moving Image. They're with me today because they have wonderful stories to tell. And unlike the long form interviews we usually do on our show, these mini episodes give our guests the chance to share one favorite memory about each of these very special people. Stephanie DeBruzzo. Hello. Hi, welcome. (laughs) What can you tell me about Carol Spinney? I didn't mean to disrupt your flow there, Gene. That's all right. I didn't really Uh, have a flow, so it was good. Oh, it was a beautiful flow. Now, I'll say this about Carol Spinney. There there are many things you can say about Carol Spinney. One is that all of the Muppet performers love what they do, right? But I've never met a Muppet performer who loved what he did more than anything in the world. He re- he loved being Big Bird and Oscar so much. It was it was everything to him. The joy that he got, even just telling stories about say you know telling people that he was Big Bird. It was it was mm-hmm. palpable. And mm-hmm. the other thing about Carol is that he didn't have any mediocre feelings in the middle. He loved hard and he hated hard. He wow. had there's very little middle ground. Um, he had opinions about people and if he loved you, he loved you. Uh-huh. And if he didn't like you so much, I'm not going to say he had an enemies list because he's not at all like Nixon, but let's just say <laughs> they, that, that there were people who had wronged Carol in the past oh, and, okay. um, and we all knew who they were, um, but that's but that's what you love about him. He was never met anyone who was more passionate, really, mm-hmm. who just felt everything so strongly. Um, the other thing that he loved more than well, two other things he loved more than being Big Bird and Oscar were were drawing, mm-hmm. and 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 Debbie and Debbie right. Spinney. Um, those were those. That was the triumvirate of love. Uh, that was his. That was his sturdy table. That right. was his three-point right. plan. I, I I love that about him. And later you know, both, in, a, yeah. Let what? me just uh, both Louise and Fran, who I've spoken to, have mentioned how generous he was with his drawings. He was oh. always drawing things for people. He drew 
when he put together his scripts, because he prepared his scripts for his little monitor in a very specific way, and mm -hmm. he would make folders with them with the episode number on them, he would do these beautiful drawings just for that folder. And it was just on an old script page that he would fold in half and right. stick the pages in. And I have a few of them. Uh, he gave wow. them to me, a couple of them he signed. And they're all different. They're all unique. Some of them are very stylistic. One of them has Big Bird with his, with his upper beak very short. And, and there's a, a speech bubble saying, I got a nose job. Um, <laughs> like he, he had these alternate universe versions of these characters in his head and he could do anything with them. And then if you, you know, if you happen to ask uh, for a drawing for a friend who had a baby, I, I did that on two occasions, just no, no questions asked. You yeah. know, I couldn't even, and I couldn't pay him if I tried. He was so, so generous with his art. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see the big bird nose job someday. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you give me give me a few seconds and I can find it for you. Okay. Well, how about well, if you're willing to do that when Craig's telling his story. Yeah, yeah. while Craig well, tells his story, I will I will uh, find it for you. I know exactly where it excellent. is in the filing cabinet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we pulled some of them out uh, during the Carol uh, episodes of Below the Frame and um and when uh for Carol's we did a little tribute to him um about a year before when he when he sort of retired from Sesame Street mm -hmm. and I had lyric sheets made with those pictures scanned on the back. So it was just it was fun. But yeah, he he drew all the time. But later, you know, in later years, Carol lost the use of his uh, left hand uh, mm -hmm. It was starting to deteriorate. And, you know, it was it was it was very hard for him to not be able to puppeteer anymore, but he could still draw mm -hmm. and he drew every day. And he would say that he would say, I'm, I'm going to go home and draw. There was uh, around 2015. It was about one of the last years that Carol was was working physically on set with us on Sesame Street. And at that time, uh, he would he would throw the lines live to and then Matt would be inside the bird actually doing the lip sync puppetry. Um, and then they would have somebody prompting him. Uh, we all knew that if Debbie was next to him, Carol would just lovey up with Debbie and, and and not focus on the work because he loved her so much. So uh -huh. one of the puppeteers was always sort of assigned at that at that time was assigned to sort of have him in front of the script off to the side, show him where the lines were, tap him on the back, um, you know, sort of cue him. And and so there was a day where I was doing that. And at the end of the day, he was released early around 430. And he said, oh, I'm so glad I, I can go home and draw. I was so happy to, you know, I'm so happy I can still draw. And then as he, as he was getting up out of his chair and leaving the set, just under his breath, only a few people could hear it in, in Big Bird voice. I'm still Big Bird, damn it. <laughs> uh, he, 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 you know, he, that never left him. That, that uh, never, that spirit of Big Bird never left him. But, but Carol was saucy too. And that's, uh -huh. that's another thing I loved about him. When, when Carol, when Carol was on, and at his sharpest, right. he he was a stealth bomber of comedy. I know that, you know, a lot of people think about the funny Muppet performers and they don't always mention Carol in that group. But uh -huh. Carol could bite. He could okay, say cool. something that could really bite as those characters. Um, and I've always I've always loved seeing that in his personality. All right. Craig Shemin. Gene Beretta. What can you tell me about <clears throat> Jim Henson? Well, what could I tell you about Jim Henson? Well, I can tell you that soon you'll be able to read about his first TV show in a new book 
called Salmon Friends. Excellent. How soon? Um, do you know? Do you have a release? Um, date? I don't know. We don't have a release date. We just got the cover design approved, and um, uh, I have you know hundreds of pages done, and now a lot of fact checking and double checking, and right, you know, trying to figure out what I missed. But um, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have um, met Jim and worked with him in a very short time. Um, I started at the company about. Uh, two years before he passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started as an intern. And I, th I think I, I've, I've told this story before, but it's still um, sort of the, the best memory that I have of uh, working or of, of uh, being in a conversation with Jim was the first day that I met him uh -huh. uh, when I was an intern. And it was the uh, company softball game. Oh. And uh, Jim had been away working on The Storyteller. And this was the summer of 1987. Oh. And I had been there a few weeks. And it, we were having our company picnic and softball game in Central Park. And it was the first time in weeks that Jim had been back in New York. And... Uh, I was very nervous. I was like, it's the first time I'm going to see Jim Henson. I don't know if I'm going to get to to meet him or, or talk to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that the Henson company at that point in time, and even today, is still a, a relatively small company compared to, you know, Disney and these other huge media conglomerates. Uh, probably there were about 75 or 80 people working for the company full time. Mm -hmm. And then they would hire on people for productions and, and so forth. But at that point, it, you know, it wasn't a, a huge amount of people. There was no uh, Los Angeles office yet. So it was basically New York and London. And um, so I'm, I'm uh, you know, mulling around. I'm trying to sort of hear what Jim and Frank are talking about. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, And I get close enough and I actually hear them say, yeah, I can't drink coffee anymore. You know, it's kind of <laughs> bothering my stomach. And, you know, oh, really? I, you know, I don't drink a lot of coffee either. And I'm like, this is what, you know, <laughs> this is Jim Henson and Frank Oz talking about. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about good stuff. So <laughs> the day goes on and there was a, an umpire um, working the game. who was very, you know, I guess you would call him a character. He was a little over the top. Hmm. And I'm. Um, standing off to the side and I'm watching this go on and Jim Henson comes up to me and I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. Boy, that, that, that umpire is great. And he said, yeah, yeah. He was at our game last year. You did our game last year too. Were you at our game last year? <laughs> he was trying to figure out who I was. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, no, I'm, I just started. I'm an intern here. Oh, you're the intern. I heard we had a new intern. Welcome. I'm Jim Henson. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know I'm like, and we talk a little bit. And he's like, oh, you're having a good time? Oh, good. I got an oh, good. Oh, you got I, an yeah, oh, good. I, I like how you're trying, to slide in, you're trying to slide in a little impersonation there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard to sort of talk about what he's saying unless you're, you know. In his case. Yeah. 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 He had a very, a very particular way of talking. You know, speaking <laughs> of the oh good, we find ourselves at Sesame Street saying oh good all oh. the time. It's oh, cool. just, it's so satisfying to say um, that. 
Cool. And um, so we had a little chat, and then it was time for, uh, you know, the game to continue. And um, Jim was taking the field. He didn't have a baseball glove, so I offered to loan him my glove because uh, we were on the opposite teams. So uh, for several innings, we would exchange the glove. And um, you would at pick the out end- little pieces of skin with DNA <laughs> on them. Yeah, and- yeah, he could make a clone. Yeah, at the right. end of the day, um, uh, I had brought the I brought the glove up to him and asked him to autograph it, and he signed it. Do you think that was the first baseball glove he ever signed? It's quite possible. It, it yeah, you know, I, I think it. it may be the only game used Jim Henson yeah. baseball glove. And That's then I brought awesome. it over to Frank, uh, who. I think I, you know, I may have introduced myself. I don't know if that was the first day I met Frank. I think it might have been. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I said, Mr. Oz, since you're a legend in baseball, would you sign my glove? <laughs> and he gives me a legend in baseball. And then he looks at the glove and he sees Jim's signature. And he said, oh, well, if he signed it, I can sign it. <laughs> oh, wow. That glove isn't around anywhere, is it? It's uh, uh, buried in. in uh, oh, I know exactly where it is. Oh, oh, my 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 assistant is going to go find the glove. Is it okay if we uh, show? We that? can certainly show that. Yeah. Listen, if you're okay with it, I'd like to just make a short little clip so people can see this, and we can put it on our YouTube channel. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. That sounds great. We'll show the drawings and the glove. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, so that's sort of the story, and then the uh, the baseball game. You know, we had a great time that day, and then I would continue to see Jim every now and then. And at, when I started a, as an actual employee, mm-hmm. I saw a little bit more of him because one of my jobs was to write up Jim's quotes for the newspapers and things. So I would sometimes get called into Jim's office, and he would talk for a while on a subject, and then I would write it up into a mm-hmm. quote. And let me guess, you had a box of like sports memorabilia and each time you would have to <laughs> sign something new. No, but I, I didn't have any sports material to bring up, but when I would have uh, one, you know, I would write these letters from the characters to respond mm-hmm. to various things. And I did this on a few occasions. And um, one of the letters, um, well, yeah, anytime we would do this, I would write the letter. I'd print it out on stationery. You know, it was from Kermit or Rolf or anything. I'd send it up to Jim's office to have him sign for the character and, and for himself. But I would always print out two copies in case one of them got damaged. You know, right. if he made a mistake signing it, I didn't have to go up and bring another copy. And he would often, you know, he would always <laughs> sign both copies because he thought that you got to sign both copies. He signed yeah. what people put in front of him. So I kept the extras. So, so you're basically, <laughs> you you could have pulled a radar and had Henry Blake sign well, orders for yeah, you to go to Tokyo. He didn't sign a lot of blank things. So <laughs> if, if a, a letter signed Kermit the Frog would, would get me to Tokyo, <laughs> Three day pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Stephanie DeBruzzo. Yes. What can you tell me about, what can you tell me about Jerry Nelson? Jerry Nelson. You know, I, I I said this uh, on a on an episode of Below the Frame, but w- the thing about Jerry Nelson, when you say the name Jerry Nelson, when any puppeteer, anyone who knows Jerry, brings up Jerry or says the name Jerry Nelson, inevitably that person and everyone in the room with them will go, "Oh, Jerry, uh-huh. oh, Jerry, ah," <laughs> oh. because. 
and I and I and again, no, you know, a lot of beloved puppeteers, a lot of people in the world who are loved, no one else elicits that response except mm -hmm. Jerry. You mm -hmm. you see someone go, oh, and you know they're talking about Jerry. Um, he would walk into a room and it's not, he wasn't gregarious about lighting up the place. He would just walk in and the room would be brighter. He would walk uh -huh. in and everyone would smile. Um, uh -huh. And yet I've never met anyone who was more humble about himself or his work than he was. Um, I remember, you know, just in the Muppet room and it was a long time before I felt brave enough to ask him anything. I remember saying, Jerry, do you do voiceovers? Do you commercial voiceover? Oh, I tried that. I can't get work doing it. Jerry, do you record, you know, have you done like an album album? And this was, you know, long before he had recorded his album. No, 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 no one's in it. I just do my music for me. You know, and he loved playing music, but he didn't do it. He never did it as a show. He did it because he had to. There, uh -huh. was, there was something I remember a quote, and I don't remember who said it in, when I was in college. I remember hearing when the heart is full, uh, it need it comes out in one of two ways, either through tears or through song. Uh -huh. And when Jerry's heart was full, he would sing. He'd get out the guitar, and he was so just lovely to to listen to. Um, but also, he didn't have to be perfect. Like he wasn't putting on a show. He was just yeah, doing yeah. what he did. And the only other time I've seen that in a musician actually was interesting. It was the 50th anniversary special and Itzhak Perlman in this big group scene was there. And in between takes, Itzhak Perlman is noodling on his violin. And you know what? It wasn't great. Like it was oh. scratchy, but he did what real musicians do. He was noodling. And right. it, wasn't it wasn't great. You're using a noodle. You've got to use a bow. <laughs> uh -huh. ah. No, he was noodling and it wasn't about sounding perfect. It wasn't about performance. It was about just working on a technique and enjoying yeah. the instrument. And that music just fell onto the floor and it wasn't perfect, but it was amazing. Yeah. And that's when I thought that's a real musician, someone who can be in front of other people and be in the process of working on their craft without their worrying about it being letter perfect. Because no one's going to say, no one's going to listen to that and say, Itzhak Perlman's not a really good musician. What does that sound like? No, Itzhak Perlman's a genius. The same thing with Jerry. No one was going to hear Jerry hit a bad chord on the guitar or miss a note or, you know, yeah. be a little flat and say, Jerry Nelson's no musician. No, it was, it was the, it was the joy of the imperfection and the doing and the process um, that I really love human quality of it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I've said this before on, on, uh, I, I think it was on your show. Um, we were talking about Jerry and again, talking about funny Muppet performers and, you know, Jerry was funny in a different way. He would, he would sneak up on you because he didn't always be funny with a joke. Mm -hmm. uh, other performers would, it would be funny, uh, more, not, I don't want to say joking, but they would say funny things he would say things funny or he would say something that would be so true to the character that wasn't funny on its surface, but mm -hmm. it would be so subtle and so wonderful that it would just, it would just stay with you and, 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 and get you. He had a way of, well, all of his characters have a vulnerability. Right. Uh, I know think I every have, single one of them. You know what I have a great memory about for Jerry? Remember that mm. period when he had that really biblical beard and mustache? Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
It was so beautiful. It went down yes. to maybe like halfway down his oh, chest. Yes. And it was gray stripes, white stripes, everything. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. Epic. Yeah, yeah. He, he was who he was and he, it was okay with him. Like, and he, I think that there was always a feeling, you know, I think sometimes he felt like he didn't, I, you, you got a sense that he never really truly got his due um, as, as as not not later in life, but you know he 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 didn't have the superstar characters on the Muppet Show. To me, uh -huh. he had the funny characters, or he had the characters that that did really good small things, but they uh -huh. were smaller characters. And but he would then channel that into that feeling of I know what it is to be misunderstood, or I know what it is to be more than you see me as being. Uh, and so all his characters have this wonderful little vulnerability to it. And Jerry, but, and, and Jerry was also a little wicked. And I love that about him too. He wasn't a right. saint. And mm -hmm. that kind of showed in some of his characters. He was, they, they were so, and, and this is not to cast aspersions on anyone else, but I feel like Jerry's characters were so human, but then vocally so out there. And wonderful. Wow. I love, I love it. Uh -huh. I just, cool. I, everybody loves Jerry Nelson. I, nobody doesn't love Jerry sticker. Nelson. There's it a is. There. Yeah. It, was it was impossible to be angry at him because he was just so lovely. <laughs> I have a little Jerry story if I can. Oh, please do. Sure. Um, it was when we were getting ready to do the concert at Carnegie Hall, which Gene, you were at. Yeah. That's the last time I saw him in person. Yeah. yeah, and when we were getting ready to do that, I was working on this with uh, Johnny T, John Tartaglia, and we said, you know, what would be great is if we could get, you know, Jerry wasn't up to doing any performing on stage, and but what if we were able to get him to do the Muppet Show announcer, mm -hmm. you know, to to open up the show and introduce the show and and do that? And we can it's something he can record from Eric. So I called up Jerry and asked if he would do it. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And was, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, you know, I have a Sesame Street recording that's set up through the studio I work with at Cape Cod, in, you know, down in Cape Cod. So I um, just piggyback. Yeah. You session. know, call up the that studio and, and we'll book a little extra time and I'll do it after that. So I got in touch with the, the studio and we booked it and and I sent Jerry the script for it. And so I, I patch into, you know, when you do these remote sessions, they give you a number to patch in, um, you know, so you can listen. Mm -hmm. And I patch in and, you know, I just, you know, it was after he had completed the, the Sesame stuff. And I just heard Jerry's voice and it was very thin. And I'm like, you know. I, His regular speaking yeah, voice. He's yeah, like, he was barely talking. Well, he was on oxygen yeah. at the time. and. You know, I'm like, I, I felt really bad that I'm getting him to do this because he can, you know, barely talk. And then I'm start thinking, is this going to be even usable? Aww. You know, it's like, I, you know, I feel bad. And I'm thinking about like all the, the stuff that, you know, it's like old Groucho when you hear, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the stuff where she shouldn't be on stage. And I'm like, am I doing, you know, am I doing something? Am I being bad to, to Jerry? And he said, yeah, remember you do it. And the uh, recording studio operator, the engineer, you know, it's like, okay, we're ready. Let's try one. And okay, you know, get, let's get ready. We'll do it. And then, you know, two seconds later, it's like, 
welcome to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was, he sounded exactly like the Muppet Show announcer. And that's what he's like, you want me to do, just like the, the Muppet Show announcer, you know, the, the uh, pigs in space guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, okay. Welcome to Jim Henson's Fantastic, you know, it, and it was yeah. just like, like not, 1977. And he was, <laughs> you know, he was preserving himself. Right. Because at that time it was, you know, he didn't have a lot of voice and a lot of energy, a lot he of breath. Was, yeah, he was. It was, you know, he had uh, COPD had hit him really hard, yeah. and he was at that point in and out of the hospital quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. and various bouts of pneumonia. Well, that's and, a pro for you. Yeah, yeah, but but he knew that he had to sort of conserve his energy and conserve his resources. He knew how to make because it he could still right. do it. He could deliver it, and oh, yeah. he, this was after he had done you know a whole session for Sesame, right? Where he'd done the count, yeah. no oh, doubt. Yeah, probably, and the count probably took a lot oh, of. Oh, okay. So, of but throughout too. the whole thing, you know, it's like we had the announcer interacting and calling out for John Tartaglia, and and Jerry still is like, well, you know, if we were at Sesame Street, I'd just say, yo, Johnny T, can I do that? It's like, yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. You know, and um, so we, we wrapped it up in just a few minutes. And then Jerry and, and Jan came to the concert and they were at our first concert, which had all these technical difficulties. Mm. And I went up to the, you know, we, they were they were watching from this the box right on yeah. the side. Yeah. yeah. I went up to him after the concert. And I was like, oh, Jerry, I'm so glad you were here. And he just held, held up one finger and said, I have a few notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, we know everything you're going to say. You know, it was all it was just, it, all the notes were about like the missed cues because yeah. the uh, the uh, the all of the cues oh for goodness. the lights and the microphones were programmed into the board to run automatically. And then overnight, the programming uh, was lost. Oh. Like somebody had unplugged something that shouldn't have been unplugged. So oh, they okay. had to do everything manually. manually. It was, uh, it choked me up when they, uh, at the end of the show, when everyone on stage pointed up to the box where yeah. he was sitting and acknowledged yeah. it. It was great. But listen, Craig Shemin. Yes. Can you tell me Isn't about right? Richard Hunt? Uh, Richard Hunt. Um, I, I remember Richard, um, I spent a little time with him down uh, in Florida when we were doing the Muppets at Walt Disney World. And, um, you know, and I was the guy at the time, I was the guy in public relations who had to go and get quotes from all the performers. I wish I had, I have to find it. I had a micro cassette with all of my interviews, oh, like brief little five minute wow. exchanges with the puppeteers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, it's somewhere yeah. in this apartment. So if I, if, I, if I ever find it, I'll have to transfer it. Um, but you know, it would always try and grab, you know, and the one thing that these guys didn't want to do was do interviews for publicity while, while they're, in while between, they're working. You know? Yeah. And, um, that was when, when Diana Birkenfield, when I came down there and told her what I had to do and, and she said, just remember air comes first. And that was, you know, that was the saying she always had. Was Wait, anything was that goes word? on the air, air, oh, air. Okay. So anything that goes on the air comes first. That's the first. The show priority. is the priority. The show is the first priority. Mm -hmm. It's as it should be. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, so I was able to tag after Richard and stuff. But then after Jim passed away, and um, Richard, 
we, they were doing the uh, Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson, which mm -hmm. was the uh, tribute show that they did on CBS. So it was on Thanksgiving mm -hmm. weekend. Of 1990. Yeah. yeah. The first time that Steve did Kermit, right? Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And uh, at that point in time, I still had it in my head that I wanted to be a, a puppeteer. And David Rudman had scouted me out doing some stuff. And then, so uh, Kevin Clash had me to some workshops and he figured, oh, I'll get him in to work for free on this thing. So at that point, you know, whenever they did these big crowd scenes, they would just bring in people, you know, the, like writers and producers and, you know. Duncan uh, Kenworthy. Yeah, and... the puppet builders. Yeah. We were all in the back row. Wives so, and brothers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that originally I was slated to do I was either supposed to do Statler or something like that. I saw my name on the list. And then, you know, when you get there, they're just sort of handing out puppets. That's what happens all the time. And, you know, Richard is figuring out who's going to be in the back. And he just says, can you do two? <laughs> and, you know, Richard had not seen me perform. And I'm like, I guess. And Doing I, two puppets is hard. Tough, Doing yeah. Statler and Waldorf. So he's like, well, why don't you do Statler and Waldorf? He'll be up in the corner. Me too. And so I put on Settler and Waldorf. I, I take three steps and Michael Frith stops me. He's like, wait, you have them on the wrong hands. You have them on Statler Waldorf. You're supposed to be seen as Waldorf and Statler. And we do that just to throw people off. <laughs> and so I, you know. So two it. hours later. I put you... them on the right hands and I get up there and they are saying, and they do a rehearsal. It's like, okay, we're going to reset stuff. Everybody get off. And, you know, we're through the rehearsal, I climb down. And as soon as I get down off the ladder, Richard comes up to me and say, maybe you shouldn't do two. <laughs> it's hard. It takes forever to learn it how does. to do two. So I did Waldorf. Duncan, Duncan Kenworthy did Statler. Bill Prady was next to me, next to Duncan and Cheryl Henson. That was the, the back row. Uh -huh. And all of this was shot in the Henson Carriage House, which is very small. By yeah, TV's yeah. Standards. It's where you rehearse for Carnegie Hall. Yeah, exactly. So you can imagine this this huge. I mean, the set took up all of the the place. Lyndon Lyndon Mossy had designed that set. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was the the thing. It was like what was your encounter. That with was my Richard? my biggest encounter as your puppet Richard. captain. Yeah, because that's you know he didn't say you stunk. He just you know as he put it, you shouldn't yeah. do. That's what puppet <laughs> captains are for. Yeah. They're supposed to challenge you, and then when you don't rise to the challenge graciously suggest something else. But right. what's interesting about Waldorf is that, you know, it's really, Jim had very large hands. Oh, yeah. And inside of Waldorf, there's just these little um, cups that you can put your, your mm -hmm. hand in because that's how Waldorf can scrunch up his mm -hmm. head, oh. you know. Um, and, and so I'm trying to reach into these little cups knowing that Jim had been in there. Right. You oh, know, yeah. And like, how do how can you even do this? this is, Anytime was... you're in a puppet that's too big for you, let alone it being on your non-dominant hand. I was just doubling, uh, just yesterday, I was doubling Oscar real quick. And Eric was throwing lines and uh, I'm slipping out of this thing because my hand isn't as, mm. as large as it is. It should be for that puppet. And uh, right. it's, it's a challenge. And that, you know, again, thankfully it was on my dominant hand. So I knew what I had to do to sort of get some purchase in there. I can't imagine what that would have been like on the blah. Anytime I'm doing any character on my left hand, I try to have it be as solid or as small as possible. Okay. You don't want it to be big and you don't want it to be floppy. Right. That's right. the trick. That's what she said. Yeah. 
Well, guys, I speak for Bill and myself when I say, <laughs> and it's been a pleasure hearing your stories. Thank you so much. I love you guys. And uh, talk to you again and hopefully see each other in person, face to face one day soon. Yes. We love you too. And love to you and Bill and the families and everyone. And stay safe. Cool. All right. See All you. Right. Take care. Bye. And scene. Thanks for listening. We're a podcast and a vodcast. You can listen or watch the episode. Just go to the BarrettaBrothers.com. That's B-A-R-R-E-T-T-A Brothers.com. Please subscribe, rate us, and we'd love to hear your comments. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>